Adams, Adamley, Adamowski, Bueller, Burns, Burns, Burns. It's time for school, rock school, with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. But the hustle of it, yeah, it becomes, you realize the the job aspect of it too. And I think what a lot of people take for granted is that, like what you see of what I do is the easy and fun part, like the playing the show. Mm -hmm. You know, what you don't necessarily see is all of the emails or text messages or Facebook instant messages or whatever, you know, phone calls and Everything that goes into booking the show, everything that goes into getting your foot in the door, and yeah. then having to, you know, prove your worth to that kind of venue as well. I mean, it's weird. Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show and the Rock School Radio Network. My name is Joe Burns, and we are in July. Thus, we are dealing with our July interviews. This is our third person of the month. His name is Casey Saba. He is a working musician in New Orleans. I have always wanted to talk to a working musician and ask, look, what are the nuts and bolts? What are the things you deal with? Casey Saba was as open as any human being can be. As a matter of fact, he was so open, and we spoke for well over an hour, I would like to post the uncut interview on the website so you can hear it all. It's so much more than what you're going to hear on this radio show, although I believe I've captured some of the best parts. So go to the website, and that would be southeastern.edu slash rock school, all lowercase. That has some effect for some reason. southeastern.edu slash rock school. Today, Casey Saba, and by the way, he's an ex-student of mine. It was interesting because there was this kid with the tattoos and the grommets in the ear and the weird haircut, yet he carried a briefcase. Not kidding. Let's talk to Casey Saba. Once again, a working musician, a Bourbon Street musician, as he calls himself, this week on Rock School. Casey Saba sitting in my uh, my home studio. I'm trying to impress you with this. I'm oh, trying well. to impress you with this. How am I doing? You're doing fantastic. Am here. I doing well? An absolutely okay. lovely studio space here. And, uh, <laughs> it's a fantastic little setup. I like it. Good, I'm, good vibration. I'm, I, I like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm most interested in speaking to you, A, because I've known you since you were in college. You were a student of mine. I was, indeed. That's right. Indeed. Which, Dude, what? Go ahead, finish it. Well, which, which colored <laughs> which colored my pursuit of mass communication and and, and self expression and uh, and making music and making people happy. So. I haven't received any kind of a check or anything like that. Well, I mean, you know, uh, times are times are tight. Times Sometimes, are tight. Yeah, times that's are tight. that's really why I wanted to talk to you because you are, and I I talk about this in a. Um, sort of a far away method. Mm-hmm. I'm not a professional working musician. I'll play now and again, but you are. And I'm 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 interested in the life of a professional working musician, especially in today's climate. So just right off the bat, was there some kind of epiphany or something like that where you went, Okay, I am going to be a professional working musician. What happened? 
So I was en route to become like a teacher, an English teacher, and um, I was able to do a, sort of a glorified internship where I, a teacher left for the rest of the year and I kind of was there all the time. Mm -hmm. So I had the chance to kind of teach the third and fourth grade and get an idea of what that kind of life would look like. And then out of nowhere, there were two opportunities afforded to me. One was Tommy's on Thomas, mm -hmm. and they were looking for somebody to play music every Sunday, and then uh, the Cage Street Pub with uh, the open mic night. And so um, both of those shows, you know, um, at the time, you know, um, I did the math for how many hours versus the pay. And uh, mm -hmm. after a month or so of doing so, just through really dumb luck and, and stubbornness, I came up with a few kind of weekly opportunities where I was able to say, you know, I, 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 the, 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 the life of a working musician is tangible. I also had the great benefit of Lacey Blackledge. He is an amazing Hammond musician. Uh, Mississippi Mockingbird mm -hmm. and uh, he sings his primary instruments like flute, horn and trumpet but he's also just one of the most amazing piano players and he picks stuff up by ear he's a great singer really cool guy and he's uh, like 10 years older than me and he's been doing it so I had the benefit of him and Frank Fairbanks and some other people and um you know that 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 sort of showed me how to sustain this kind of life it it definitely has a lot of challenges and it definitely lends itself to a strange person that can sustain it i guess for for a long time
that's what I that's what I'm interested in. Is 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 it is it that your existence is constantly hustling for the next gig? Oh yeah, that's a big part of it. Well, so there was a grooming stage almost. Um, I lived above the Kate Street Pub for like a decade. <laughs> Did they trade you out well, rent or <laughs> food or something? Uh, well, at the time we had a like when I first moved, we we used to rehearse. I had a heavy metal band, and I started with a r- original music, you know, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, it was hard to hustle that kind of thing, but we all did it and nobody took a share of that. So all the original music payday went into a band fund to pay for recording and stuff. Everybody had a job. Everybody did other stuff to, to make it work. And the music thing was more passionate. So when we were dealing with original stuff at that time, that's where I was at. But I lived above the K Street pub and there were two apartments above there at the time. And so, you know, we used to rehearse for Medias Rest there and uh, our house burned down on Pine Street. <laughs> and uh, I found that that place was available and um, we got that, like Bobby Drew renting. And um, at the time, I didn't really know uh, Dan Lambert or Al Hebert, you know, running the K Street Pub. And I mean, I kind of knew of them, but mm-hmm. we started a rapport and there was two apartments. And so next door, there would always be people kind of coming in and they were, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed, but they're living above a bar and it's going to yeah. be loud all night. And the, the temptation to, drink and party all the time and negate your schoolwork like i did my schoolwork but i was also i was also a very avid hardcore kind of partier yeah so it took a special kind of bird to do it and we lived there for a very long period of time uh me and chris letard and uh, mcdoll at a time and mike rollo and lewis gidry was there the whole time and so you know um Next door, though, people would kind of come and go, you know, and it, it would cost them certain things, you know, and it was it was weird. I was a highly functioning, crazy, burn the candle at both ends for yeah. that period of time kind of person. And the living above the bar, though, I think helped groom me for the lifestyle because you need, you know, it behooves you to be a night owl. It behooves you to sort of, yeah. you know, love being around people. And I don't know, you know, there's a great sense of self-worth in that, you know, I, you know, I've had to reconstruct my definition of fame and what I want out of it. But in the same time, you know, uh, if somebody's having a really hard day and they can sing a song along with you or something and just forget about that for a moment mm-hmm. and kind of heal up, you know, that's for all intents and purposes what I feel like my job is, you know, right. and that's in the simplest terms. And so in a lot of ways, I'm really lucky to do what I have to do. But in a lot of ways, man, there's a lot of trap doors and being a yeah. musician for a living, you know, it's uh, it's it's tricky. <laughs> it's Not- tricky water.
thing is, when you have, when you decided I'm going to be a professional musician, much like a chef, and this I got this from Anthony Bourdain, mm. you made the decision that while other people are at play, you're at work. Oh yeah, there's a really interesting distinction about that because, um, and it complicates my relationships, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, you know at first if I'm like dating somebody, they might be like, oh, I love kind of seeing you in your element and watching you interact with the people, and then, then that, it's a job, and that kind of, be- <laughs> but that can become like, oh, you're flirting with those people or oh. you're doing whatever. And I'm like, my job is like a good bartender. A good bartender is charming, accessible, you know, laughs at your jokes, makes you feel special, and remembers what you order. Like in that sense, you know. People have certain songs they want. I, you know, they ask me, you know what I, you, know, you already know what I want, you know. And mm-hmm. so, like, you know, it, and that point is cool. But the hustle of it, yeah, it becomes, you realize the, the job aspect of it, too. And I think what a lot of people take for granted is that, like, what you see of what I do is the easy and fun part, like the playing the show. Mm-hmm. You know, what you don't necessarily see is all of the emails or text messages or Facebook instant messages or whatever, you know, phone calls and everything that goes into booking the show, everything that goes into getting your foot in the door and yeah. then having to, you know, prove your worth to that kind of venue as well. I mean, it's weird. Now, you're a name right now. I, and, no, I don't know. Well, you know, you, <laughs> modesty uh, aside, you're, you I'm gig a, <laughs> five, six nights a week. Am I right about that? That is correct. I yeah. do play a lot. And so you're a name. Now, what was it like at the beginning and what is it like now? I mean, my assumption is you're known well enough that you're sort of in Rolodexes for people. Well, yeah, it's um, my friend Brooke Calouette. She makes uh, my business cards and does my photography and stuff. And she's Mm -hmm. a really smart kind of business minded person and does branding and and image development, all this kind of stuff like that. And um, she really, you know, there's an important distinction you know, if you choose to think of playing music as a job, it's going to feel like a job. If mm-hmm. you can think of playing music in more of terms of like a career, then it changes things. And all yeah. of a sudden there's things to aspire to and, 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 and Annie's to up and, and game to up, you know, and, and where do I want to be and short term goals and midterm goals and long term goals. And so, you know, there comes a point. I mean, my definition, you know of uh what i wanted when i was in my early 20s uh if i would have got all that i would not be here talking to you right now i would be long long gone and you know when you're young and and you're pretty you know nigh and vulnerable and you bounce back just like that you know yeah uh it's different so you know i'll be 36 in august and then uh you know in my mid-30s as opposed to my mid-20s you know yeah a lot has happened and you know uh it's it's just um you know, um, I like to double down on the hustle. Like I said, I, in more terms, my, my, my friends that do business with me, they, they think of me in terms of a producer, mm-hmm. not necessarily just a musician, which, uh, you know, I, I do arrange shows. I do do the marketing and the booking and design the flyers and do all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's all the stuff that yeah. you see that people can take for granted. Somebody has to make that and, yeah, that's and, right. and, and spend the time and do it and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. And I tell you what, you know, if you're not prepared to be told no, this might not be the, the work for you to get in. Cause I get rejected often. And I you can't, know, that's hard you know, to believe as but, often as you play. But you know, what's, what's, what I appreciate though, is I appreciate the venues that aren't coy about it. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I did a, a sub in at the Apple barrel and like, you know, they were nice enough to say like, I don't think you'll fit our groove. And I wrote them back. It was like, thank you so much for your honesty. Cause I can like, you know, Mark you off and listen, keep going because there are people yeah. that are interested. And I do find this is that the places that are excited to have you 
are the best show. You know what I'm saying? Right. You play at a place that begrudgingly, <laughs> you know, they, they're paying you a tenth of what they'll pay a featured act, but then they don't even make a post or say anything about it. You know, yeah. I'm not trying to badmouth anybody, but it, it's a collaborative effort, you know, and the, the, the venues that want you there, you can, you know, it makes for a better show. It makes right. for a better crowd, you know, but but it's cold sometimes, man. And I played many a night on Bourbon Street to the bartender and the bouncer. She fell asleep last night amid the dwindling firelight and memories of those she left behind. She swears she dreams of symphonies and overtures on bended knees, lamenting the facade beneath the mind. She woke with urgency and rubbed her eyes so she could see, but all she feared had up and gone away. She clasped her hands to pray and asked that she be spared each day from visions in the night's calm disarray. And she said, dream, dream no more, the distant night's forgotten lore, and nightmare visions won't endure, nor gallant seas or shady shores. Nightly blackout sessions offered no sense of concession So the mind beneath the mind began to sweat With no outlet for obsession and no counter for deception She determined that her wish was now a threat She clasped her hands once more and laid upon the hardwood floor And yearned for all her dreams to come and stay and to this day she tries to reach that same elated state of sleep But the dreams refuse to come after that day She wished she'd dream, dream once more Recall the night's forgotten lore Whatever visions I'll endure Sell galaxies or shady shores So that being said, you know, I got along really good with the people that worked there. And like I said earlier, I'm not, you know, I don't mean to badmouth anybody, but it's just, it's a weird, it's a weird thing, man. Um, and it's ups and downs. And like right now I'm saying yes to every show opportunity because football season's coming. And when football right. season happens, and you know, it's a musician downshift and, you know, you don't want to fight the football game. And, uh, 
So it gets a little weird, but you know, as soon as Super Bowl to you know the end of August, that's the mm-hmm. stow the nuts away for the winter little squirrel kind of thing that right. I'm doing right now. So it's it's rough, but you know, it lends itself to a very strange lifestyle. It is very you know, unless you're kind of seeing somebody that works weird hours or understands like what your motives are, like it's hard to it's 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 a it's a beautiful thing, but it's kind of a lonely thing. Like, yeah. you know, I live alone with a Japanese fighting fish, you know, his name is face and he looks like an alien because he looks like he's wearing a mask. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's a strange life in a sense. Cause you know, for 24 hours a day, for four of those hours, you're like on stage and doing these things and interacting, but you know, it's not a two way interaction. I mean, it, it is to a degree, but it's not like having a conversation with somebody. Right. So, you know, it's, it's a little more put on, but not like a facade in a mean way, but just like we're there to have fun, you know? Right. And, um, I understand the value of that, you know, and, and, and it can be rough when you're having personal hard times to like, you know, put on that mask and, Thank you. and say, Hey man, you know, yeah. these guys aren't here to hear me, you know, whine and moan and complain that they, they want to have a good time. And, some people have a very hard time dealing with that. I did too yeah. for years. Well, you know, the, it was hard for me to muster that without something external. Yeah. And, and I think the whole thing is learning how to find your derivative satisfaction internally. They say teaching is a thankless job. But if you talk to teachers, they get a great sense of fulfillment mm-hmm. from the students that they deal with. They yeah. would certainly love more tools to do more and be more able, of course. We need to take a break now so our affiliates can go ahead and help out their advertisers, but we will return quickly to Casey Saba, a working musician, a Bourbon Street musician, as he calls himself, right here on the Rock School Radio Show. Let's let's talk about that idea right there. You made the statement earlier on that if you were um, if you were as you were, you would not. What did you say? Twenty four. You wouldn't live past twenty four. Why is it the twenty seven? <laughs> Are you going to be in a club at twenty four? Yeah, twenty four. Maybe be in the club. I did, but it now, wasn't just because of that. I just couldn't see past it. You know, I didn't understand. But yeah. why do you think? I mean, you don't hear about you know the people in accounts receivable um, ending their lives that early. Why does music attract that kind of person? Is it the creative person that that will that will you know drink himself or drug himself out, or is it? You mentioned to me earlier that you um, you had some anxiety going on stage, which always shocks me with musicians. This is your chosen profession. Why would you do that? So, why does it? Why do you think it attracts the people who are are prone to being that? Well, I think. Let's see. I think, you know, music, at least for me, when I came into it, it really gave me an identity. 
you know, it, it gave me a sense of um, who I wanted to be. I think when I was younger, my conception of a man is a guy who like busts in the door to the to the bar and tells jokes and lights up a cigar and drinks whiskey on the rock. You know, just like you know this conception of this kind of boisterous anti-hero hero kind of thing. And you know, it's really weird. I think a lot of people are attracted to music for a lot of different reasons, but and I can't speak to to all of that. But I can tell you, in my case, like when I was a kid. You know, I remember the day, you know, where I had the realization that I'm getting too old to play with action figures and like the the notion because I had a really good sense of imagination. And I, you know, I actually I think I was my grandparents favorite grandchild only because I could entertain myself like I wasn't by there like there's Lincoln Logs in the back and I'm like, I've got my G.I. Joes and my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like I'll be fine. Let me know when dinner's ready. But no, we had chores and all kind of stuff too. They had chickens and dogs on the way. There was a lot to do out in Bayou Lacombe back in those days. But to the to the point, um, you know, it gave me an identity. I wasn't a, a cool kid. I was a sweet kid, and I was overweight, you know, and I was uh, made fun of. But I, I found out through comedy, you know, I could disparage that kind of stuff. And, and I didn't go crazy into self-deprecation, but I understood that, like, if they called me fat or something and, and they saw it hurt my feelings they're going to do it, you know, do it again. Which, yeah, sure. It's going to get a rise. So at some point, I guess it all started, you know, even, even performance started for me as some sort of innate defense mechanism or something, you know? Um, but then when you find that you can have a voice with it and, and truly kind of be, cause that was a thing that got tricky for me. The, the me I am on stage is, is all my best features exaggerated, you yeah. know? And, and to be honest with you, I tried to be that in real life, like all the time. Oh, you can't. And that's so unsustainable and right. dangerous because it, and then to, to evoke that, yeah, you know, I didn't feel like being on, but if I had a few slugs of whiskey, man, I, you know, I could be on. Like, And then when you do a, a, a show, you know, is your job and you're not in the mood to do it, man, line me up four shots of a, a Crown or Jack Daniels, man, and, and I'll give you a freaking show. You know? Put your hands in the pockets of strangers You might not get them back The right to get you The right to get you And don't forget your place Cause they won't give it back The right to get you
nuts and bolts mm-hmm. with you. Let's say you got a gig tonight. Yeah. For the sake of argument, you're doing what you call a bourbon gig, a bourbon street gig. Mm-hmm. It's four hours. Mm-hmm. Let's say it goes, what, 8 to 12? Is that a decent time? They have, yeah, they have a few different slots. They usually okay. do like 9 to 1. And Let's then, go uh, 9 to 1. Yeah. Let's go 9 to 1. What's, you know, they, I, I read somewhere that uh, if you're going to be a working musician, you can't practice, you have to gig. Yeah. How much? I mean, what's the presentation? The, the the preparation for the day. I know you've mm-hmm. got. You know, how many songs is in your repertoire? <laughs> we ran an open mic at Kate Street for nine or so years, fifty-two yeah. weeks a year. I tried to learn a song or two every week, so it's about five hundred fifty songs. Right now, you could play five hundred and fifty different songs without my book. I could probably play. Not trying to toot the own horn, but it's just I've done them a lot, about 480, without having to look at anything. Wow. Some of the newer stuff, I don't remember all the words, yeah. or there might be a, a bridge that I don't remember right off the top of my head. But yeah, a lot and of just mumble stuff. through it. Oh, Who's going to notice? I can fake it like a champ. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we can fake it up. Okay, gig starts yeah. at 9 o'clock. Yeah. When do you arrive? What what oh, happens? Man. If well, it's all different. Bourbon Street is rough because you know there's. It's normal to have to park about fifteen or sixteen blocks away and, yeah. and walk. You know, um, you try and start there. You got to allot yourself enough time to try and park. And luckily, they have a PA set up, so all you really got to bring is like your guitar and your chords and whatever else you might need. But. Um, it's usually a rough day. If I'm coming off another day, you know, before that's late, you know, I've been better about this. I actually wake up around 1030, but I used to like sleep till two or three, you know, right. I was up till four or five and you know, it can mess with you. So you try and get there for eight, whatever that means to you. You know what I'm saying? Um, you, you need to get close to proximity with enough time to try and park and do all that stuff. Then you have to 
pull your stuff out, and then you have to use your spidey sense getting there <laughs> because you know you have to know where everything's at all around you. There's been some terrible, terrible incidences of people getting you know traveling equipment, being musicians, getting robbed, getting mugged, and yeah, robbed and beat up and all kind of craziness, man. But so then you you use your spidey sense. If you hear anybody, if you hear footsteps running up behind you, you might want to turn and check it out. Just you know. I'm not trying to, to instill fear and distrust. I'm trying to instill it's a uh, city. proactive safety. Yeah, but it's a city. <laughs> but it's, you know, it really right? is. She fell asleep last night amid the dwindling firelight and memories of those she left behind. When she dreams of symphonies and overtures on Vindany, lamenting the facade beneath the mine. You know, I struggle with this thing too. Like, I hate eating right before a show. I was going to ask, when do you eat? And I'm really crazy about it. Like now, uh, it's it's really kind of I hate to admit it, but now, 
you know, I'm getting, I had this really bad habit of like eating like a snake and I would like do the show, the late show. And then mm-hmm. right when I was on the show, I'd go eat and then I go home and go to bed. And it's just like the worst. And I wouldn't eat all day. It's like the worst yeah. thing to do. So I don't do that anymore. I get up, but I try and keep it light, man. I do eat like, um, fruits and veggies. I've been doing this thing with like broccoli and eggs. You brown the broccoli and a little bit of, uh, onions and put eggs. So I keep it light. But, um, and I've had to cut out a lot of breads and all kind of stuff. But yeah, dude, if you eat before, or if at least I eat before a show, yeah. oh man, dude, you're sluggish. You know, you're sluggish, you, you, your diaphragm's all kind of messed up. You know, you, when you, when you got to really push to hit some of those notes, it just makes it all challenging. You feel cumbersome. Uh, at least I do, you know. Mm-hmm. So it can be weird, man. It lends itself to a weird thing. So I do get up. I try and try and eat a little something when I get up, which is hard because I don't wake up hungry, you know. Yeah. So I will have something light, and as I go about the day, I don't know if these work, but I've been doing different protein kind of things. But at the same time, like protein shakes are... It's convenient, too. You know, and that's what I was going to yeah. say. It's, uh, I'm getting better about eating better, but it really takes a monumental amount of time, energy, and effort to do that. Yeah. I can do it for a day or two, and then I kind of fall off. Time for our second break. And please remember, I have posted the entire uncut interview with Casey Saba up on the Rock School website. It is southeastern.edu slash rock school once again southeastern.edu slash rock school all lowercase that has an effect for some reason back in a minute here on rock school You know, I want to write a book about dealing with crowds. Oh, you should. And people would go nuts. (laughs) Seriously, people who want to perform want this kind of information, which is one of the reasons I I really wanted you in here. And, you know, I'm going to ask the uncomfortable question right now. And this is all stuff that should be in your book. Did you get did you make money off of Bourbon Street? And if I was to hire you right now, what would it take to get Casey Saba in my backyard playing for a four hour gig? If that's too uncomfortable a question no. or you'd rather it not well, be out there. Well, I'll tell you, the the Bourbon Street scene hasn't changed much since back in the day and it's they use their going rate is like at least where I was at, you know, unless you get a residence and you're with a big band, it's, it's yeah. different for everybody. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you right off the bat. I mean, cause there's some stuff I'll say, but other stuff that I don't want to give out people's stuff, but you know, no one will pay you what you're worth unless you go ask for what you feel you're mm-hmm. worth, you know? So that being said, um, bourbon streets hook was that they would pay $25 an hour, four hour sets, and they would bill it as, you do 45 minutes on 15 off 
But if you're doing it and you bust, you're behind and you finally get a connection with the crowd, like, why would you take a break? You know, no, you're trying to hustle tips. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, there's some fun and crazy stuff you can do. Like, the guy who's going to yell free bird, be ready with a response. Because there's some stuff you know is going to happen. What's your response? My response is, <laughs> for 100 bucks, we'll let all the birds free. <laughs> And you know what happens though? More more times out of you know more times than you think. This yeah. dude will reach in his pocket, grab a crispy hundred dollar bill, put that in the tip jar. Get bet. I'm telling you that will happen on Bourbon Street. Do you know the song? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you know what? You know nine hundred songs. Funny, what's funny <laughs> is I'd rather play Free Bird than Simple Man. Simple Man, and I don't hate that song. It's just harder for me to sing. <laughs> no kidding. So, so that's the thing, you know. Uh, but, oh, I'm coming. No, hold on. I'm coming to see you, <laughs> and I'm bringing a hundred dollar bill, and I'm gonna scream. Because yeah. I that would I gotta tell you for the audience that would be fun to as as oh, fun yeah. as watching Dude, you. There's dueling piano guys that have this whole thing to a science where they they basically delve the crowd up into competing sections and there's rules. So like if somebody requests Brown Eyed Girl and you hate it and they put twenty bucks in the tip jar, if you put twenty one, they stop playing it immediately <laughs> and start playing something else. By the end of the night, they're just rolling in tips. So like there's there's smart and silly ways you can do that, you know. And there's also give and take. And then that's another thing. I'm not trying to criticize but like on bourbon you're going to hear the same 30 songs dude it's going to be brown eyed girl it's going to be journey it's going to be and dude no offense to any of those bands those are great songs but it's but it's come to be very predictable and what i like to do is play the other stuff my favorite two responses are like one like wow i haven't heard that song in forever or two like nobody covers that that's crazy you know what i'm saying
slept so long, slept so long. 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 It's one o'clock. And but I probably should ask this too because I just this is just something that interests me. If you're making this connection with the audience and you say there's always the guy who yells Freebird, <laughs> do you have the hecklers? Do you have the people that you suck and that you know, kind of stuff? You know what's really funny? I'm really. Uh, we would get them doing. We did this comedy show in Baton Rouge called Urban Assault, and it mm-hmm. was it was downright hostile. But that was sort of the appeal. It was like at any point, like we're gonna have a go at the audience. You know? Yeah. <laughs> But that's what made us strong, you know? That's yeah. what made us, like, forged in that fire. I'm really lucky to say, you know, of course there's, like, jerks and stuff in the world, but uh, I've been pretty lucky to where the people that have bad stuff to say just go on Facebook and Twitter and say it. <laughs> <laughs> Turn to my right 
then I saw her handcuffs wear. I picked her up by the side of the think the best art comes out of comes out of the worst places can you be an artist and be happy yes you think so yes i think you can i i don't know if i am a great example of that but you know what is happy happy is only temporary too i think you know in the buddhist definition they describe torment as the pursuit of temporary feelings Mm -hmm. like happiness so like, you know, and, and Alan Watts talks about this notion of, you know, your life isn't, your goal isn't happiness. In fact, it's the unknowing chance circumstance of the future that actually compels you forward. Mm-hmm. If you look at it right, if you look at the unknown as a scary thing, then yeah, it's rough and life is a drag. But if you look at the unknown as like, you know, there's a Twilight Zone episode where there's a guy who's a gambler and then he like dies or whatever. And he goes to this casino and he wins and he's like, this must be heaven. And he plays it again and he wins and he wins and he wins and he wins every time. And he's like, oh, no, this isn't heaven. This is hell. Right. It was the fact of the the thrill of the maybe so, maybe not. You're going to win or you're going to lose. But you don't know if you don't play. You can't you can't win if you don't play. But 
you know, some people look at that and say, you can't lose if you don't play. But I mean, it's it's whatever works for you. So I'm not here to tell you how to do your life, you know, but I will tell you this and, and maybe this will answer this in a very concise way. And once again, I'm going to have to borrow some words here. You know, Kalodraman, the old man asks him, I think, I don't remember, uh, tell us of love and joy. And he says, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, you guys think of love and joy as two opposite ends and then two totally different things. He's like, but I'm here to tell you that, that joy and sorrow are eternally linked mm-hmm. so that when sorrow cuts into your core, it only makes more room for joy to fill when it floods in. So to answer your question, can you be happy or sad and right? I think yes to everything because, you know, um, the Beatles, I think, were happy sometimes. Mm-hmm. And the Beatles, I think, were sad sometimes. And, and yet I'm doing a serious XM thing trial. Yeah. And I don't think I'm going to get it. It's too much. But it is a Beatles station. And there's been a lot of, you know, stories and stuff like that that I never knew about all the stuff they dealt with. Like, you never give me your money and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And the stories behind the rough times of the band. Sure. And they know about loss, too, you know, and, and, and all these kind of deeper themes. So the question becomes, you know, are you defined by your loss or, or are you defined by your ability in, in light of loss to, to still keep going, you know, and there's no wrong answer, but you know, one of them lends itself to the unknown and the other one relegates itself to a, I already know it's going to happen before it happens. So if you already know that future, then how does that change from the past and how is that exciting? There you go. I, I, I'm out of time. I got. I just sat here man, and talked this, to you for an this, hour. This has been better than therapy, man. I'm it's. Saying. I'm telling you what. It's, it's been better for me. I, tell, I want to go home and, and buy flowers for my wife uh, now after a few of your statements. Thank you for coming. I mean, you came from New Orleans to my home to sit here with me when you could have just done a phone interview, and that's good people. You know, anything worth doing, man, never, ever came easy.
to tell.